Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa The cultivation of sati mindfulness is um, it sets up a, a relational paradigm that is uh, uh, that which is being experienced uh, is not self. You know, I mean, that maybe <laughs> it certainly seems like it at times. <laughs> Who else is it? <laughs> but. <laughs> Act of faith, it's perhaps it isn't <laughs> the truth. <laughs> perhaps it's just stuff that's happening. <laughs> and then being with it, not in it, and not away from it. <laughs> um, so this particular placing of sati is skillful, and the skillful placing. By and large, what, without that, we tend to either go into what's being experienced and start to... Um, um, either shut it down or try to shut it down or get involved with it or spin out um, you know more and more um, linguistic stuff or emotional stuff on it it cascades and escalates and so we get into it and when we go out of it we find ourselves somewhere else thinking about something else or reaching out for something to get us away from that experience so those are the in, out, and mindfulness is with. Um, <clears throat> and of course, it it's, can be, you know, the case that one does in this practice, get, go in and then fling out, and that you're trying to at least recognize what, what are the things that really throw you around. Um, and uh, just rec- how you're going to um, find that place. Because it's only that place of being with that you could, we say, process, or process in America, process what's going on. Is, uh, you know, it has to be experienced in order for this uh, arising, passing, uh, realization of anatta to, to occur. So if, you don't, if you're not with it, you can't really clear it. But at the same time, if you're in it, you don't really clear it either. So, where's that, where's that, how do you find that line, that boundary? Mm. Mm. 
on that. So a lot of practice is just you know, finding that, where that which can be experienced, is experienced, can be, we say, open to or held carefully and allowed to manifest. And the understanding is that if there is no engagement, that is a kind of locking in, then the quality of that is no longer being fed and so therefore it it dwindles and fades out. And And if you've been with that in the fading out of experience, it's not, you're left feeling resonant, open, clear, bright. It's not, there's no payoff. (laughs) So this isn't just a kind of extermination program. It's uh, which one can imagine it can be, and even sometimes want it to be. (laughs) But extermination is not on the agenda. The agenda is realization and clearing. And if you find that way of being with in the clearing, it's not just like something has gone. Something something has been revealed, which is beautiful. And so there's the possibility. Whereas if you just go out, you may, in fact, cut it off or not see it, but you don't get the same fruition of this lovely, the realization. It's called the realization of cessation, which again doesn't sound particularly attractive, but that when there is that ceasing, there's a beautiful, open, resonant, still quality, which is very difficult to to put worldly values on because most of the worldly terms don't go there, but. Basically, the Buddha said, I don't regret this, you know. <laughs> I, don't think I've, I don't think I've lost anything by doing this. It's really good. Uh, and if, whenever that comes around, you'll also experience that your sense of your, your territory, if you like, changes. Your landscape changes. You're in, in a richer, wider, up more uh, valued domain. That, um, so it's called the deathless element or the nibbana element or these are these are the kind of words that are sometimes you know paste uh, stuck on that so yeah being with mm. <coughs> so what is being with um, essentially it's the citta or a kind of awareness, awareness which we could also rephrase as mind or heart, but perhaps awareness is easier or more more all-encompassing. Awareness is with what? So the, the general term for what we're with, in general term would be sankara or sankata, the conditioned elements, that which has been conditioned, uh, generated, uh, imposed um, through, you know, experience through sensuality, through sense contact, through social contact, through you know, karma, mm, the condition, that which is conditioned. Uh, and there are, there are certain uh, dynamics within that that keep it really lively and potent, so it sticks around for a long time. So this is what I call the layering process, where things have become so habitually conditioned, they've formed. Um, kind of let what I call him layers, you know, and you hit these and you go into a particular pattern again, a particular pattern of mental behaviour or psychological behaviour, feeling agitated, feeling 
miserable feeling, vague sense of inadequacy or a profound sense of inadequacy. Yeah. And what 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 you know, you just you're sitting here. <laughs> Nothing to be inadequate about. But then the mind projects things I should be experiencing that I'm not experiencing, so therefore proves it. So we have these sabotage programs. When you actually, I mean, it's sort of a you imagine, well, I should be experiencing something that I'm not. See, this particular is a sabotage program that continually says what you're experiencing now is not what you should be experiencing. You should be experiencing something other than this. So that proves it. Right? You are inadequate. What do you think you should be experiencing? Yeah, we can put some labels up. Happiness, bliss, nibbana, samadhi, and so forth. Yeah, and, and one way, yeah, that it could be, there are, uh, there is a development in this, but you can't get, you, that can't happen through the, the should be program, which is essentially a, a sabotage program. And we uh, we do adopt a sabotage program. Um, clearly, we don't think it's that. Now this dynamic, so it, it arises, and uh, the uh, teaching is that which is subject to rising is subject to ceasing. But in order for it to cease, it has to arise. It can't cease before it's arisen. <laughs> you can't shortcut it. So when it arises, sometimes you know what can often occur is, oh, that shouldn't be there. Stop that. So it doesn't cease, it's terminated. And, you know, so it isn't really allowed to do what it would do if there was the capacity to allow that to rise and cease. Half arises and then, oh, shouldn't be here. And we cut off that. Now, of course, this is not to say that um, the averting of attention isn't isn't occasionally uh, necessary just this is I cannot actually be with this I just cannot I don't have the resources it's just too much okay then you turn there's a conscious well enough and I'll get back to that later this is a bit too too much in it so skillfully turn your attention with a sense of conscious what is needed now and just um, take your mind off that topic Come back into your body, breathing in, breathing out, or open your eyes, come to the space around you, stand, change your posture, recollect you have been, you have experienced goodwill, <laughs> you know, out there, recollect qualities, memories that bring you back to that, if things become too, too pushy. So, you know, there's the, the wisdom to moderate 
one's practice is skillful. The sabotage program is just a, uh, an immediate shut off. Hmm. With when it's tonalities of, of fear or shame. Uh, you know, fear is something you can't push past. Uh, so there has to be a way of of handling that. If you push against fear, it just gets more defensive. So there has to be a way of acknowledging fearfulness, anxiety. It's a very primary signal. It's not a rational process. This is where embodiment helps. We feel the uncertainty, we feel the experience of not feeling, you know, awkwardness, embarrassment, shame, guilt, and you, and you feel yourself sort of tightening up or, sh- or shaky or trembly or pulling back and then breathing in, just descending, recognizing your body is perhaps tensing up a little, your shoulders are rising, your face is closing, your eyes are hardening, your jaw is firming up, your mouth is tongue is becoming more constricted, chest, and just come down into your feet, your legs, fully, your belly, go to where you can release, out of the triggered zone. Now that's not a a distraction, that's a uh, withdrawing, skillful withdrawing, because you know what you're doing, to a place where you can just discharge the energetic effect of these dynamic experiences. And if you've become uh, more familiar with uh, the somatic resonances and tones and effects, you can do this to a, a more refined degree. And you notice certain things like how the chest closes or the shoulders hunch over, how the face tightens up, or there's a flutteriness in the chest or, or a restriction in the solar plexus diaphragm area. Yeah. Or a sudden heartbeat picks up, starts beating, fluttering. Okay, what's happening? You don't even have the words for it, just no activation. And there's anywhere, how is this activation? Is there anywhere outside that? So my thighs, my legs, back, down the long back muscles, down into the ground. Yeah, that's okay. Steadying, earthing, grounding. Breathing in, breathing out. Discharging. And in the discharging is perhaps when you're able to, oh, that was, you can name what it was. But be careful with the wording. And let, I would suggest you shouldn't even seek to understand. First thing is to arrive at uh, the uh, balance or from discharging in effect. And then 
you know, you might, oh, I think I was feeling nervous. Yeah, something like that. Or, or you may get a memory, who knows. But that's kind of secondary, because the most important thing is just to pull out the effect in a skillful way, not in a um, dissociating way, not through zipping off somewhere else. If you find yourself, you, have, you are somewhere else, then you want to backtrack. How did I, you know, what am I doing out here? <laughs> you know, and that's, what, what was that? Come back to your body. You know, and a lot of these you, you miss, one misses quite a few because it's so, some of this stuff is so reflexive and quick and has become so normalized. You know, because that's the nature of patterns and processes, the, the long-term ones, which are actually the more residual ones, become so normalized that you don't even really remark upon it. Yeah. Or one is given up. That's the way I am. So just remembering anatta, nicha, anatta, changeable, subject to change, not self. There is a way out. There is a release from this. There are different ways in which awareness um, um, can be directed or, or um, mm, yeah so awareness itself has no particular characteristic apart from being aware so, but for once you come into this sensory domain awareness becomes pattern so you get layers wrapped around it so awareness is awareness plus yeah and the pluses will generally be emotional uh, pluses, awareness plus feeling, you know, something. Uh, linguistic, awareness plus verbal descriptions. Um, awareness plus bodily tones. And so these refer to, in fact, to almost different levels of, of patterning, of layering which the most basic one is the body one. Language we learn somewhat later. First thing is just the sense of being here. You might say the fundamental bodily layer is, I'm in this, there's this, I have a location, it's here. And then the sense of, I can be experienced as an object, and what that, how that can affect. Now that's not self, that's not who you are. That's a layer. And of course it's a very firm layer because from the time you were born, you know, you've been definitely been seen as an object. I mean, maybe seen in a good way or perhaps in a unpleasant way and generally for most people it's a mixture but well, one has definitely been seen as oh you're the person who lives in that thing <laughs> so you know if you try to make it look what you think people would give you the least flack for <laughs> this isn't always achievable 
So you kind of uh, object. <laughs> uh, I'm in this. Uh, yeah. So this isn't something you can just shrug off, because <laughs> uh, it's not it's not a linguistic thing. It's just a, you have to notice that sense of object, an object, and then there's a boundary to the experience of body. And the boundary of the experience of body sits within awareness. <coughs> it's not the end of awareness. You can experience the space around you, the absence of pressure. You can experience moving through space. Your awareness can widen, has to widen, does widen beyond limits of the skin. Hmm. And that sometimes that sense of your boundary becomes charged. You know, like, uh-oh, lots of people, uh-oh, you know, resonant, I'm the odd one out. Skin coloration, size, whatever, you know, I'm the odd one out. And that can be, then you get the, the emotional program and the odd one out and not quite welcome. Uh, not indeed um, liable to be blamed. And the emotional boundary and then the linguistic stuff starts upon that linguistic stuff could be something like oh don't worry about it <laughs> you know or try to make it the best you can of it or you know be quiet try to not make an impression so you'll be less of an object so be quiet perhaps nobody will really notice you yeah. So you get all this stuff going that tends to then act as a as a, a kind of a repressor of what you're experiencing because the idea is to have as little be as little present as possible then you'll make least effect and you'll get least stuff happening from other people so you get that gets kind of established so these are these are examples of what I call programs and the <coughs> programs which are, are, are it's a tra- translation I have for the word sankara, mental formations, um, because they're lively. So the sense of program gives one perhaps the understanding. It's something that is, you know, has a ge- is generated and has the capacity to keep generating more and more evolved programs as well, not just itself, but more evolved programs. You know, such as if my the program is to not be too evident, you know, to not be too much seen, observed, whatever, therefore quieten down, then there could be all kinds of other programs that occur to try to implement how I will not be seen, not be observed, not be experienced. Mm. And these may be guilt, there's something wrong with me, um, inability to exp- to have a word such as to express need or wish because that's you know you're sticking your head out oh, so I don't need anything I don't want anything uh, and that sounds good look free from desire <laughs> <laughs> did it just just you know pretend or just put that thing in that so you, you don't need anything, you don't want anything uh, because that would be noisy, loud, demanding I mean you're, you're a needy person 
you know, demanding, needy person who wants more than it. And you go, <laughs> so you don't, you know, there can be that, that dampening. So these are various sort of sabotage programs that go on. And, you know, you may think, well, isn't it good to not need anything or want anything? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Mm. But you don't get to that experience through suppression. You get to it through experiencing, say, that sense of wanting or needing and finding it being met by these sacred transpersonal qualities. I do need respect. I do need self-respect. I do need virtue. I do need goodwill. Mm. I do not need to experience myself as something unpleasant. I do not need to have this inferred hostility. Even if people are hostile, then this is something that uh, I think it's a reasonable wish to have that removed. (laughs) At least from you know, for me carrying, if that's what people are, that's their issue. But I shouldn't have to participate in that. And because also the case is, you know, you don't know. And I think when one gets into these self-defeat sabotage programs, you carry that around, one carries that around as the basic model because it's safe. But actually, she isn't, she isn't doing, she isn't running, it's me who's running it. He, she's fine. He's okay. Yeah. Right now, it's it's not relevant, but I've got used to that. You know, go small um, because that's safe. But then, actually, it wasn't. There was nothing there apart from my own. I'm bouncing off my own trig, my own shells, my own layers. Yeah. The point: if you can begin to find the strengths and the fullness within, loosely speaking, then I don't have to carry that around. To the point when, if one is fully consummate in this, it can be that even when people are being nasty and hostile, you can still hold that, that quality. So there's there's a trajectory. What's happened is the sankara, the dynamic, has been experienced as something that is triggering here. You know, and it's not to validate other people being unpleasant, whatever. But the triggering is happening here in this thing, in this body, and then that program arises. It does me no good. It's using my energy. It's hampering my freedom. It's limiting my relationships. It uses up precious energy. I am using energy, or my system is using its energy to do me harm. You know, really get it simple. Uh-huh. This is something one must 
recognize and practice with. Now, but acknowledge. Shameless acknowledgement. <clears throat> well, there are various, so it's the Sankara, is the activation program, and that is um, triggered by what's called Sanya, which I'm, excuse me, I'm sure you're familiar with these terms. But um, to tease out the meanings, Sanya translated as perception, not particularly rich resonant word I think um, it means something you get it oh it means something there's a sign a signal a flag uh-huh that's that yeah mm. and you so as soon as you, something is seen visually and it's somebody you know oh, there's the little shiver occurs sanya and sanya is to do with contact now, contact must be understood in two ways. One is, you know, what is called initial contact or res- or resistance contact, which means, say, your your visual field is opening and it hits. There's the wall. There's the plant. Boom. So it rests there. That we call resistance contact. It means instead of the visual field being able to open, it hits the wall. And, okay, or it hits the face. And all right, and there's the limit of it. The other kind of contact, which is really the um, the meat of this, is the, called designation contact. Where, you know, oh, that's Suki or something. You know, a little flash of, you know, oh, warm, friendly. Oh, nice to see her. You know, the little the recognition. You get a little tremble, and then a activation could be, oh, you know, great, go and have a chat with her. You know, or it could be, uh oh. You know, pulling back, or it could be not certain yet, not certain yet. And I think not certain yet is a good one, yeah, because at the same time you might feel, oh, well, I'll keep going with Suki hug, and she doesn't want it <laughs> at this particular time. So you're just like, how is this? Negotiating contact, I think, is always skillful rather than just either rushing in, you know, um, and just, well, how is this for you, and how am I? Right. And you look out for the signals, some sort of welcoming signal, you know, and then you move in. And this is something I think is important to cultivate. So that sense of, first of all, I respect your space. Nothing too exceedingly form, you know, formal, but just the first movement is, I respect your space. And so often, you know, Buddhist things, we have this Anjali, it's kind of like, I respect your space. Yeah, and then it can be that moving in. So this is contact, called designation contact, and this is where the stuff starts really f- moving around. Mm, you know, and clearly the most significant designation contact occurs really um, around a, well, two places, fundamental place, or basic places, other people, trigger. Because as human beings, we we're geared to that. We are we are mammals. We're born in somebody's body. We're weaned, nurtured, cradled. We're social. We go to school. We're in the streets. We're other people. We are always triggered 
and should be triggered by the presence of other people. Mm. So, you know, that's that's the story of being human. I think being any sentient creatures like that, the humans are very, very involved with each other. Uh-huh. So there's bound to be something arising. And uh, dependent on your social domain, that can be quite strongly configured into not welcome, you know, or you're the one who always does this. You know, you can be in a relationship where, oh, you know, you, you get configured as the person who does it all. <laughs> or it's your, you know, you've got to keep the whole thing going. You know, so you can get this, get into these programs of relationship. You know, and of course, or you're not welcome, or you're, it's your fault or you're responsible for it all. Mm-hmm. It's a program. And then we, we form within that and we try to make it as comfortable as possible because we are social creatures. We really want to have an experience where the other person is okay, you know, or comfortable with us. So, Okay, if this means I've got to kind of crunch down and do this and do all the work so that you'll accept me, I'll do that. <laughs> that kind of thing can kick in. The sabotage program. Yeah. Uh, and this thing can be running without really even knowing it. And the more established it gets, the less one knows it. Strangely enough, because it becomes part of the landscape. And all you want to do is just to keep going across that landscape because it's familiar and you know that you know the show and keep going and try to find make it work as best as possible. Sankara sanya perception trigger sankara activation the activation gets established as a sort of fixed thing and you form within that. You form within that. Mm. So just to, what I'm saying really is not that you have a program, programs have you. You, you or yourself, your self-experience which could be an image, it could be a mood, it could be an emotion, it could be your personality experience. That's formed by the programs. Yeah. Rather than you, your fault. <laughs> it's it's, it's um, imposed. Then how does that being get out? If that's, if that's who we experience the self as being, even if, if it's explained intellectually, the words, still, how does that being, is there somebody to get out? Can you just wipe it off? Oh, nobody in there anyway. No, <laughs> I don't think so. How does, that, how does that experience unfold? And this is through the process of careful attention, appropriate attention, what's important to attend to at this time, and mindfulness, sustaining it, and then 
practicing with that, either calming it, steadying it, um, listening to it. Yeah. Always the general atmosphere is always one of some kind of, you know, a heartful quality. It could be just the sense of patient equanimity. You know, let it be how it is. Could be more directed goodwill or compassion. So this heartful quality is the thing that, the quality that really helps us to shift the emotional effects. And if those are shifted and thoroughly felt, then that can also shift uh, the bodily effects, tensions or this sudden rushes. So this is how we work like this. Now, mindfulness can be, of course, established through different channels. Okay. I hope this isn't all too too much, too complex. Mm. But very often, the one of the almost the language of mindfulness is very much the visual. So I say through different channels, there's primarily three channels, visual, auditory, and bodily. And so visual channel means you observe. You observe experience. It's like this, it's good, good for object definition. There's that, there's that quality, you observe it. And then that way, your mindfulness gives you a good amount of distance to observe something, to know it, to be able to designate it. That's what it is, it's that. And naturally, you know, observation is very good at more refined detail. (coughs) The limitation of it is it doesn't necessarily conduce to qualities of goodwill. So sometimes in this strange uh, thing, you can have mindfulness can be seen as different from metta. You know, they're two different practices, all the practices that we need to bring together. But, you know, you're mindful, you observe something, and then you cultivate some goodwill towards that. So, you know, you can do that. So, but the unfortunate, well, the limitation of it is it tends to also uh, give rise to an observant self. Hmm. That is one forms, the, the awareness forms around the act of observation, which is an act. And one becomes the observant self, slightly distant from experience. Cool. Not bad. <laughs> and Definitely something to be encouraged when things get really a whole tangle. Yeah. So the other sense is the auditory sense. We listen. This is really helpful when you get the incessant babble in your head or the moaning or the, the, the verbal patterns. So because they carry... Uh, with listening, you you sense you're able to sense, you know, 
the, the language as a voice. So with observing, you can't observe a voice. You can observe words on a sheet, but you can't observe a voice. So you hear a voice. And in hearing the voice of your mind, oh wow, she's really quite uh, dreamy. Or, you know, this voice in my head is sounding quite strident, like it's pressuring, wanting something. Or it's trembling, or it's constantly correcting itself. Uh Uh-huh. Then what's the emotional quality with that? So this um, wise attention, emotional quality of that is uh, lack of confidence or fearfulness or trying to hold something down or not wanting to be who I am. Well, various, you know, and try to get it as simple as possible. And ideally even just um, small, small feel, small feel, small feel, trembly. Okay. Ah, how is that? To be with that. How is it, does it feel to be with that? Because you can then move more to the, the feeling of it. So, so with sanya, perception, the act of recognition, that the chitta will experience some feeling. Yeah. Perception, contact is understood to be the arising of perception and feeling. So remember the feeling. Because being observant, you don't necessarily get the feeling. And the, the degree of, of fluctuations of agreeable or disagreeable. With listening, you get a little more of the feeling sense. Yeah. That's the nature of the hearing, the listening quality. And then you can even listen to the act of listening if you're opening, because there's a certain openness to the auditory uh, channel. Because visual, you definitely trigger an object. With auditory, the the awareness is scanning around. How is this atmosphere? So it's a much wider, more open space. And if if the particular phenomena quieten down or, or are allowed to rise and pass, and there's a passing, you experience a, a, a wide open attentiveness, which is very spacious and cool. Mm. Mm. This is particularly helpful with layers and sankharas that have strong verbal uh, or uh, verbal um, manifestations, you know, something you can hear, vocal manifestations, like the emotion expresses itself. The emotion expresses itself, and, then you, oh, and it comes can come out verbally, and then you become the listener. And how already. That is metta. You don't, know, you don't really have to add metta to it. That is, if you don't edit and, and truncate the listening, that is metta. The metta is the, the ability to not be averse or constricting 
an experience. It's just that openness to listening. Now allow it to be there. That is kindness and compassion. Mm. The maybe the limitation of the auditory is if the if the quality doesn't express itself. And this can occur also. There can be such uh, uh, certain certain experiences, certain layers, can be so co-constricted and so shamed or unheard that they don't dare to express themselves. Or they don't express themselves. So there isn't anything to look. You feel, yeah, I'm kind of okay. But then if you're noticing your bodily domain, how is your, how is your bodily sense? This helps to acknowledge particular programs and layers that don't necessarily have a verbal expression. Or even in emotions, you just kind of feel slightly numb, that's all. But that's okay, it's better than feeling pain. And if you if if you haven't really felt or, or have a, a, a an experience of of the body feeling light and bright and vital and open, then well, it'll feel normal. You know, feel pretty normal. Shoulders sort of tight, sort of slightly constriction in my belly. You know, um, making sure I get everything right and. Make sure I'm on time and, in fact, preparing to get something on time. It's not going to happen for two years' time, but I'll do it now to make sure everything's going to be okay. I feel normal. <laughs> That's normal, isn't it? That's me. Um, is that good? Do you feel happy with that? Wrong question. So some, sometimes these uh, programs and, and layers are, you know, they've got to the place where they can't speak, or they don't, and you, we've normalized them. You know, and well, how is that? Perhaps because at some point, one just felt that's that's the way it is. I'm like that. There's nothing I can do about it. So just, you know, get over it. Get over it. Move on. And you may even have uh, reasonable ideas about that. Something happened another time, another place. You know, so certainly in listening to people in interviews, one does hear some pretty uh, disturbing stories of things they've had to get over and keep going. 
No. Mm. My opinion is that you don't get over anything. I think get over is a is a reasonable enough strategy in some senses. You know, if you can't deal with it, okay, move on. But for you know, well, again, my view for realization, getting over things is inadequate. You know, what you you don't really get over something. You you park it, you can it, and move on. You don't. You don't release it. You don't resolve it. Mm. You know, so it may seem so strange sometimes to be still be you know, dealing with a three-year-old in your belly, <laughs> you know, or a frightened little girl or something in your in your heart. And get over it. Come on, you big idiot. Move on. No, you don't get over it. Mm. Sometimes it's really silly. But you don't get over it. You clear it. Mm. So, you know, that real sense of um, what does it take? Uh, Well, I would suggest that embodiment careful is a way of doing that because it doesn't necessarily go into the stories which can be so ingrained and entrenched that as soon as you go into them then the story just becomes huge and you feel overwhelmed and then just just look I can't keep going through this again it's over you know finished Mm. but we're not really going to you know, go into the story, doesn't mean the story has to be stopped, but you don't go into it, just feeling the the bodily perception. You know, the embodied perception, so I say perception can occur visually, it can occur um, when you remember something, you know, you get an emotional sense, and generally there's a mixture of all that. Because the, although I'm talking about three channels here, they really, they're all doorways or channels into the same area, which may, you know, but one may be triggered, visual. But it's all going to come down to, sooner or later, you know, or the deep stuff's going to come down into your embodiment. And then it arises as something, uh, I use the phrase, the felt sense because it's both, it's not clear what exactly it is, but it's definitely felt uh, in embodied way. And it can even have localized positions in your body. It could be an overall sense of feeling cold. It could be an overall sense of feeling disoriented, you know, like the body, where am I? It can have an overall sense of feeling like, like you know, I'm, I'm naked, I'm skinless, I'm exposed. You know, it could be something like that, or it could be an overall sense of feeling small, compressed yeah or it could be I'm feeling really like I'm all up in my head and nothing underneath or it could so your body as an experience becomes extremely plastic I mean fluid 
So suddenly it can, it can seem like, you know, you've got no legs or you've got no back and you're all some kind of throbbing thing <laughs> <laughs> in one part of your body that's pulsing and throbbing and where the rest of it go, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. And generally if it gets like that, boom, you, you, you fly out into the explanations. So felt sense, it could be overall sense, it could be such things as a change in temperature, it could be a sense of a change in felt space, like there's no space, so it's become rather tight here, you know, when it feels constricted. Or it can feel like there's so much space, I don't know what's up and down, I'm really out, in outer space somewhere, it could be something like that. Uh, it could be particular local areas, such as a strange thing rising up through my chest or sitting in my throat, or, you know, it could be so. And it has, so it's felt, and it has particular, like a, a mood, tonality to it. So it's just an activation. And so then that process of Dhamma-Vijaya investigation how am I with this? Can I be in the presence of this? What's what's the reasonable way to be with this? So often people tend to go close up to something. This is not good. For embodiment, for visual thing, yeah, that, that's that's what you do. Embodiment, you don't do that. Because when you go out to something, embodiment, you put more energy into it. Just the very fact of awareness drawing towards something makes it more luminous. And when things are already extremely luminous, you don't want to give them any more juice because it can, you get, it can, it intrudes. So a sense of respectful space. This may, I hope this isn't too um, weird, but uh, experiences something. Uh, in a respectful space, generally the important thing is to feel your back, your spine, and if you can, the kind of what I'm calling the midline, the center line of the spinal column, or roughly speaking, sense of upright presence and sense space around me. You know, just even that upright presence, space around me, or with me, and I'll be there. So holding the space, bearing the presence, holding the pre- hold the space. Let things may may start to speak, because mm. that quality, those two features, the midline or the spinal sense or the upright sense, that is really really basic. Yeah, it's it's there at birth. It's there as the primary uh, orientation, uh, even of cellular development. You know, when you see somebody, some little thing starts off as one tiny cell and starts to boop, 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 boop. There is an organizing that generates that. And it's generally going to come out symmetrical. You don't say, well, let's do a hand and then let go do an eye. It's generally the, the thing unfolds into this approximately symmetrical form. From a, from a midline. So it's very fundamental and it's, it's completely yours. You know, not self, but it's completely 
intimate, nobody gets to that, you know, and that's your primary axis of being. And in space is safety. Again, this can be restricted. Uh, it's not entirely yours, but you know, you want to begin to claim it because there's at least an inch. <laughs> you know, if I get into that, then maybe I can open it a little wider. So from the midline, safety, hold the space. That, I'd say, is, is the primary model. And interesting enough, it maybe that's all you need to do. And just let stuff express itself, shake itself around, find its own ground, level out, do what it does, be weird, um, be not what it should be, all those terrible things. <laughs> and breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, feeling that this other signal, the third signal is the life signal. That I'm a living being, which is breathing in, breathing out. We've been doing this. Once we came out, we started doing it, and we'll do it until we part, we leave this. So that's your life signal. The rhythm of breathing in, breathing out. It means I can take in fully. I can let it out fully. I can take it in fully. I can let it out fully. No, I don't want you to exaggerate your respiration, but just to get the sense of the meaning of that. When I breathe out, I empty, and there's no problem with that. You know? all the space to empty out, whatever. When I draw in, I draw in just as exactly as much as I want. You know, air is free, so far. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't privatized it yet. So, so get it now. <laughs> uh, this it. You know, again, don't, you don't have to hyperventilate, but just the sense of really Oh, my body expands, and nobody's going to stop that. So I can be as big, and whatever felt meanings can occur around that, they're all part of the, the mental tones are also helpful to just challenge some of those uh, mental tones, sanyas, perceptions, felt senses, that to do with compression, shouldn't be this way, have to be this way, you know, never will be this way, something wrong with me, that stuff, and just, nothing wrong with this. <laughs> yeah, just the felt sense of that. And you put those there, that, then you just put those two together. This is, uh, already an act of dana and goodwill and gladness I can breathe so there's this my safety, my presence my livingness and to dwell in that as this is one's right if you like or one's admission into this world Nothing else at this level is asked of you.
So at the meditative level, let's we'll talk about behavior later, but at the meditative level, just get the sense of that. No other behavior is necessary. Nothing else is asked of you. But just to be present, hold the space, feel your breathing. You're free. No obligation. No results needed. No, no model to compare yourself with. We let you off. Yeah. Take the time. Now, of course, this is the beauty of a retreat. And yeah, there are behaviors that we say, don't do this, do do that. And yeah, we've all agreed, are these reasonable behaviors? Have we all agreed? Yeah, we will say, you know, keep the precepts, um, not um, consciously interact with others apart from respectful gestures or body language that indicates, you know, respect your space. Um, are these behaviors I think we're clear about and they're not, we're willing for them, we haven't felt, well, I've got to do this, you know, but we've acknowledged there is a reason for this so everybody can feel safe and things are looked after and there's management requirements. Okay. Yeah. And then there's behavior. So here we have that possibility to go down to very most fundamental levels of being. Listen, observe, feel. Whatever helps you to sustain what's necessary for liberation. If things are much too intense bodily, go to the observer. So the witnessing, the visual sense will take you out of the intensity of feeling. If it becomes very verbal, maybe go to the auditory sense. And that will take you out of the um, constantly fabricating more and more language in your head. And if it feels like something's there that you can't, you know, Go into the bodily sense, you know, if you're numbing out or you don't know where you are, or just as a general check-in really, that bodily sense will take you to this most primary experiences of, of layering and patterning. clearing programs. Thank you. So